The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Monday, November the 20th. I'm Hugh Linehan and you're very welcome to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast, a special edition of Same, following a historic Sinn Féin Ardesh at the weekend. We were there in the RDS with Conor Murphy, MLA for Nuri Armagh, Dublin North TD and party spokesperson for health, Louise O'Reilly, Sarah Barden from our own political staff and also our northern editor, Jerry Moriarty, was in the audience, as was Fia Kelly. And Fia is here with me now because we recorded uh, that material in the in the podcast, Fia, before Jerry Adams made his historic speech on Saturday night indicating that he is stepping down as president of Sinn Féin. Yeah, I think it was a really um, charged atmosphere in the hall in the RDS. Like, you know, I've covered a good few audition in my time and I think it was probably one of the most dramatic and noteworthy I've been at. Mainly for the fact that the significance of the moment uh, is beyond doubt no matter what your opinion of Adams is. But the way it was stage managed and the political theatre of it was something to behold as well. Like Sinn Féin do these things quite well after all. So what did they do? Well, nobody knew what Adams was specifically going to say. Like the the usual way that these ordinations work is that the speech is released under embargo a couple of hours in advance to allow media organisations get ready. So, for example, if you were working a Sunday newspaper, you would get a briefing well in advance. None of that happened this time. No one on the party was told. The select group at the top of the party knew exactly what he was going to say. And that moment in the speech when he made the step change from talking about, you know, come day go day politics, about Brexit, etc. And then he says, and you know, a true mark of leadership is knowing when you have to go. This is our time. We will grow even stronger in the future. But leadership means knowing when it's time for change. And that time is now. I will not be standing for the doll in the next election. Neither will my friend and comrade Martin Ferris. And I want to thank Martin, Marie and our clan for years of service to the Republic. This is also my last RDS. feel the hall tense up. Everybody was focused on what he was going to say. I think he delivered it well. The way he wrapped himself, not just his departure, but that of Martin Ferris. And, you know, this emphasis on the, I suppose, the the military IRA past, you know, mentioning those list of names who had gone before as well. Mm -hmm. He was casting himself in that role. And to me, it sounded like he was separating that generation to the ones who were behind them like sitting physically behind them on the stage was Michelle O'Neill Pierce Doherty Mary Lou MacDonald all those people and it was an effort by him to not just his departure but to mark a generational line across the leadership and say this is not, this that was then and these guys behind me are going to be now because there's always I mean obviously there's this I don't know if you describe it as a tension within the party but this this key difference between those who were involved in the armed struggle or terrorist campaign take your take, you know take your pick uh, and those who are post the generation which is post that which is which is what you mentioned and when you go to Sinn Féin Ardesh, I hadn't been to one before it was interesting it it it's 
part of the function of it is as a internal rallying cry to the, I don't know if troops is really the appropriate mm. word, but you know what I mean? They, there's a lot of a call on history, the history of the troubles and the, mm. the history of the of the Republican struggle. Um, but then what's actually happening at this Ardesh is moving on from that, isn't it? It is, but like you say, that will always be a part of, that, of the organisation. Like you go to an Ardesh, you see you know, photos of Martin McGuinness, you know, T-shirts about the undefeated army, mm. like, you know, commemorative T-shirts about the hunger strikers. That is a huge element of it and always will be. And despite the fact that the party wants to move on probably publicly and put that behind it in a way, it's so intrinsically part of what they are. For example, there was a half an hour tribute to Martin McGuinness at about, I think, half seven or seven o'clock on Saturday evening before the live televised coverage of Jerry Adams' address. And it was like basically half an hour of videos of music and then Alicia McCallan the, TD, or the MP for Foyle gave a speech and the biggest cheer line of the entire weekend was when she said Martin was a proud member of the IRA and the place went absolutely bananas it was clapping cheering stamping of feet it went on for a good few minutes the noise was unbelievable and it was if there's ever any doubt of what the organisation and the party members think of that armed struggle slash terrorist uh, campaign, as, as you said there, that would re- uh, remove any the, doubt from it. It was the, the fools, the fools, they've left us our Fenian dead yes. moment. It was just a huge, like, kind of, you, you sat back and you went, whoa. When you heard the cheer, it was one of those moments where you went, wow, I've, I've, I, I didn't really anticipate that coming. Okay, and Adams is good at this kind of thing, isn't he? Sinn Féin generally are good at this kind of thing stage managing you know really they have a sense of history how many times do they use the word historic they've been through a process over the last 30 years where they've anything they've been involved in such as Good Friday but it was really well produced as a political production it was excellent so, um, so tell us what uh, what happens now I mean since um, since that speech on Saturday night Pierce Doherty who might have been somebody who might mm-hmm. have uh, contested he said at the weekend yeah, he, said, no. he, said, he said it a couple of times now he said at the weekend on Radio Nagel Tactic he said I'm not, I'm not doing it but the key moment was the key line was at this moment in time and he said at the end this morning that he's not he's not going for it Michelle O'Neill not going for it um, Mary Lou MacDonald hasn't said it but quite clearly is going for it. Mm. Interestingly, in a, an interview a couple of months ago, she said, I, w- I will have a platform ready for when Jerry announces his departure date. So she obviously has an idea of what she wants to do and we're going to hear it in the next while about how would she change the party, what would she do with the but party. But the job is hers, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I noticed in uh, my colleague Sarah Barden's copy this morning that Conor Murphy was uncontactable for comment last night. Um, but you would think that she is going to get it. There is a view in the party that they would, some would like a contest, speaking to people around the RDS saying, mm. look, they saw how the Fine Gael leadership campaign worked well for Fine Gael and that it, they were the topic of conversation for three weeks. There was a lot of talk about their policies, their approach, their, you know, guiding principles. It energised the membership. So they said, look, if we look at that, that was a really good way of doing it. But I, I can't see it happening But there's now. also that criticism of Sinn Féin, isn't there? With, you know, that, that criticism that... that they're not a fully democratic organisation. That there's a it, it comes up in the podcast that there's a there's a there's a cultish Cult. type uh, uh, yeah, d- type of thing going on. <clears throat> Obviously, because Adams has been there since 1983, which is a really long time a, ago. A really long they have time. never had a leadership contest. No in living and, memory. And, and, really, and like you, you know? asking party figures at the weekend, well, how does this work? They weren't actually really sure themselves. They had to go off and check. You know, if I ask someone in Finnegan. Fianna Fáil, how was your leadership contest? Oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, members have a certain amount of vote, TDs have a vote. Mm. But the way it works, uh, if it is to work, is that 
it is done in a very old-fashioned way. Um, you know, every party nearly has moved to some extent to give members a direct vote, this one-member, one-vote type scenario. Labour Party have an absolutely pure one-member, one-vote. Everybody's equal. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have kind of more complicated electoral, electoral colleges, electoral colleges yeah. where the mm. TDs have more power than the uh, members. Sinn Féin have a really old-fashioned way of doing it, which is there are about 360 coming around the country. Every individual coming would hold a meeting, be it in the bar or the local hall or whatever, and they'd say, oh, these are the candidates in front of the parties running for leadership. Who do we as a common want to support? The common would have a discussion, a debate. They'd say, we want to support Mary Lou MacDonald. Therefore, three delegates from that common would be mandated to go to a special Ordesh and vote for their leadership. And is every candidate. common the same size or does every common have the same number of votes? Every common would have the same number of votes, which is three, and then there are various other layers. So then there is a, something called a Corla Counter, which is a regional... Uh, grouping of a number of coming in a geographical area. As far as I know, I'm open to correction, they have two votes each. Then there's something called a Cuiga, which is an organisation based around the European Parliament constituency, so North Ireland, whatever they are now, they're so they're geographical nonsense, sure. nonsensical. Then you have, you know, uh, votes for the directly elected members of the Ord Corridor, so those who sit in the Ord Corridor have directly elected by the members. We saw that on Saturday evening those elections taking place. Then you have the effective officer board, which is the leader, the deputy leader, uh, various other, the sec- two secretaries, I think, uh, and or two treasurers and one secretary. They have votes. All in all, there's about... So what they don't have is a parliamentary party kind of college of, of no. sorts, or do they? No. Interestingly, maybe because they still, probably in their constitution, they were never quite sure about this parliamentary thing in the first place. No, that's true. And actually, I was, I was shooting the breeze with somebody about this at the RDS on Saturday, and they said, there is no way that our organisation would wear a TD or an MLA or an MP or a senator having a more powerful vote than your average member just goes against everything they believe in. So I don't think that would happen. A free state politician or a stormant politician voting voting for the leadership. But all in all, it seems there's about 1,100 or there, thereabouts people who will cast a ballot. Now, they've been mandated by others to cast that ballot at a special Ordesh to elect a party leader. So that is the way it works. It is very old-fashioned. You would think that if they go through this process... They may look at it again, like in this day and age where we have so much about, you know, direct participation in these kind of elections. And you yourself would have seen it if you look at Sinn Féin's membership. It's quite a young membership, it's an active yeah, membership. Definitely. So if there's any party that would want to give its members a direct vote, it would probably be them. And I think this, you know, it does look like a foregone conclu- conclusion. It has looked like a foregone conclusion for quite some time. But I suppose the parallel I would see is the transfer from such a you know, dominant leader who's been there for so long to someone of a new... Well, he wasn't really a new generation, but you're talking about De Valera, Lamas, and then... OK. Well, well the thing is, Lamas was... He'd have been handing over to Martin Ferris if the Lamas... Yeah, he was. Sorry, sorry, that's why I qualified because I was not really a new generation, but from one to the other. Relatively yeah. straightforward, handover. And as we know, what happened when being fought in leadership elections after Sean Lamas, sure. things got slightly more normal. So perhaps that's what we're looking at. This one, bit, you know bit kind of choreographed. And, and just in terms of, do you get, did you get any sense from the on, on Sunday about what the real time frame is going to be? We know there has to be a special Ardesh before the next annual Ardesh, but is, the, is there any sense that's going to be three months away, six months away? Well, we know that once Adams announces his official departure, it has been in three months because they passed a motion to that effect at the conference on Saturday. But he hasn't done that. He hasn't done that. And interestingly, I was listening to him yesterday on the uh, This Week programme and he suggested that they would look at it really after Christmas and that would probably tally with what people around the party have been saying for some time that they usually have Ordeshes in March 
and they got knocked out of whack because of Dáil elections, Assembly elections, Westminster elections, and if they were to go back onto a March schedule, it would bring them back into a normal pattern. So perhaps that maybe is the way it would go. The Org Corner will discuss how to run this thing. So I don't want to get too much into the minutiae of Sinn Féin, the Sinn Féin constitution, but that wouldn't be a special Ardèche then. That would be a regular Ardèche. And well, they, Ardèche it, 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 it could be what they wanted it to be. Sure. So, like, it, it could be an Ardèche, but they elect the leader at every Ardèche anyway. Yeah, they can do that anyway. True. So yeah. it, it, it would probably be up to the Ardèche side. OK, do we want to bring our Ardèche back in the schedule and have a full-blown Ardèche, or do we just want an Ardèche to coronate or to elect Okay, now we're actually going to hear some of the debate from Saturday afternoon. Uh, Apologies for the background noise. We were recording in a very lively corner of the RDS. Once more, our panel consisted of Conor Murphy, who's the MLA for Newry Armagh, Dublin North TD Louise O'Reilly and our own Sarah Barden, with some added input from our Northern Editor, Jerry Moriarty. We discussed some of the big issues facing the party, including negotiating with the DUP on restoring power sharing, Sinn Féin's position on the Eighth Amendment, and why the opinion polls show the party's support in the Republic as stagnant or even declining. First, I asked Sarah about the thinking behind uh, another very significant move, Friday's vote by delegates allowing the party to enter a future government as the junior coalition partner. For decades, Sinn Féin have declined to consider any coalition arrangements where they weren't the uh, majority party. Um, the decision last night, though there was some concern uh, raised, you know, was overwhelmingly passed because Sinn Féin now know that you know, being on the opposi- opposition benches for the next decade is not sustainable for the party. Um, if it wants to grow, if it wants to get into government, it has to make itself uncomfortable. It has to take risks and it has to do business with people that it re- refused to do bus- business with up until this point. On the flip side, Fine Gael, um, under Leo Varadkar and uh, Fianna Fáil under Micheál Martin have refused to do any form of business with Sinn Féin, although we do know that that you know the position that's echoed by Michal Martin isn't necessarily shared by a lot of his TDs. It's not, I suppose, Michal Martin would like to portray it as it's a minority view within the party. There is a large number of TDs who believe that the the most sustainable government next time round will be a Fianna Fáil Sinn Féin coalition. Um, the difficulty, I suppose, for Sinn Féin is um, is that it, it has spent the past decade criticising the policies of, of Fianna Fáil. I think if I if I'm quoting correctly. Um, John Brady, the Wicklow TD, said that Fianna Fáil had inflicted heinous crimes on the Irish people and Leo Varadkar was a leader similar to Marine Le Pen and led a right-wing government. The difficulty for them now is how they put those, you know, those issues aside and try and actually form a government and do business with parties that they have criticised repeatedly uh, over the past decades. And I want to ask Louise about that for a minute, but before I do, Sarah, I just want to follow up on one thing. 20 months ago when we had the election in February 2016 Mm. and we ended up with the dispensation we have, it it, it should have looked very good for Sinn Féin at that point because it was now the de facto chief party of opposition because of the the arrangement in the Dáil. But that hasn't been borne out in polls that we've seen since. No, I mean, I think... The part, as I said earlier, the party is very much at a crossroads. While every opinion poll would suggest that they, uh, there is a great deal of unsatisfaction with the or dissatisfaction with the government, Sinn Fein haven't benefited in, you know, from that in the polls. In fact, you know, they, the any dis, any disillusionment with the government has actually gone back to Fianna Fáil 
and not gone to Sinn Féin. So that's a real, like, it's a difficulty for Sinn Féin. They should be benefiting when people are, dissat- are not happy or dissatisfied with the government, but they're not. And really, crucially for the party, they have to do a little bit of soul-searching and to, and to realise why exactly is that. Um, their, pol- their, par- their policies haven't changed. Um, you know, their leader obviously hasn't changed. A lot of people would see him as an obstacle to Sinn Féin rising in the polls, perhaps with his announcement tonight that maybe, you know, a significant barrier lifted. And, you know, there's a lot of soul-searching for Sinn Féin Louise, to do. what do you think of those polls? Because they haven't been particularly great over the last... Well, year. look, at, I mean, there is only one poll that matters. We all know that. And, I mean, we That's wouldn't expect me to... Well, the then, you know, good. and there you're talking to two politicians and you get a standard politician <laughs> answer. Shock horror, you know, we're, we're, we're not exactly unlike everybody. You get my meaning. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting for us in terms of being in opposition is the approach that we have taken as, you know, people are rightly pointing out the de facto leaders of the opposition. I mean, you certainly can't lead the opposition, uh, no disrespect to Micheál Martin, when you agree so profoundly with everything the government says and does and when, in fact, you provide them with the votes to keep them in power to ensure that they can implement those policies. You know, there's 8,000 families are homeless. That's because the government policy. Micheál Martin might be happy with that, I'm not. Um, Our voters aren't, our supporters aren't, our party members aren't um, and we would seek to change that but we have very much tried to be constructive in opposition Um, of course we will hold the government to account because that's what we're supposed to do, that is the job of opposition but we also have tried to work uh, with the government where we can I've certainly tried in my portfolio um, as the health spokesperson to work with Simon Harris and to advance what we believe are good credible policies that will actually work effectively. We've had some success with that. I think sometimes uh, for political reasons the government won't hear what we're saying even though it makes good sense but we have had some success in that regard. We're certainly, I mean I raised the issue of uh, mesh implants recently. The government have now undertaken to go and examine that issue. It's a huge issue um, emerging but again you know you can be constructive. We've also uh, proposed the idea of a single integrated waiting list management system. We call it Colista. They can call it what they like but it's it's a, it's a very, very good idea. But it's surely, one Louise, that the, there is some uh, concern, though. You're right that there is deep dissatisfaction with the government. The homelessness crisis is not getting any better. But Sinn Féin are not benefiting electorally in terms of the opinion polls that have been out there. You're not gaining any traction. Well, as I said, there's only one poll that matters. And I mean, you know, people are not thinking about a general election at the moment. Uh, The two parties that are effectively in power are so cosy. Why would they want an election? This arrangement suits them so well. They agree on so much. They never have to have a row. They never have to to work hard to develop a policy. They simply just nod, agree and sit in their hands or vote in favour of the government um, in terms of Fianna Fáil. So people are not thinking about an election at the moment. And I do think an election will focus people's minds. But in the meantime... We do what is the job of opposition, which is to hold the government to account in the first instance, and also to try and advance our policies, um, you know, as, as in as far as we, in as Jer- much as we can. Jerry Moriarty's been sitting very quietly and patiently there in the audience with a quizzical look on his face. Jerry, the view from the Irish Times, view from the north of the current condition of Sinn Féin. Um, well, I, I would have thought Sinn Féin's fortunes in the south would be some way related to what's happening politically in the north, and at the north. At the moment, there isn't anything. There, isn't a, there is no executive. There's no assembly. Um, we're going to get through the Sinn Féin Ardesh this weekend. DUPRF, hmm. uh, DUP annual conference. It's not an Ardesh. <laughs> Next week, and I understand uh, the two governments and the two parties are going to have another belt at it to see if they can get over the line. Um, I don't know whether they win or not. Uh, there's issues. You know, 
the well-rehearsed, the Irish language, same-sex marriage, other issues, and also coming from a, a DUP st uh, position, they want some sort of um, guarantees that if it is reformed, that it will last, and it won't just crash over some other issue. Um, I was told the two parties were, were quite close. I mean, Connor is a senior negotiator. He'll have all the details, which I'm sure he won't divulge. But uh, I was told, you know, that, that the two parties are not pro uh, progressing on a winner-takes-all basis, that there is a bit of acknowledgement from both sides. I'm told that uh, Michelle O'Neill and Arlene Foster have been getting on a bit better. And that, uh, so, you know, if you're going to have... Uh, substantial change this this weekend if Jerry Adams is going to be retreating from the front line maybe Michelle and Arlene might be able to uh, get the you know get some sort of a, a, a deal done but uh, as I was just chatting to Connor earlier on and he was saying you know, it's, it's going to be a pretty short window they won't have us in talks at Christmas they're going to give it a couple of weeks to see if people are prepared to make the move and from what I understand is that um, there is a reasonable compromise on the Irish language, on same-sex marriage, on the other issues. Uh, both Sinn Féin and the DUP have to sort of make leaps of faith to get the deal done. But that, in terms of risk-taking, the greater risk is for Arlene Foster. And a couple of weeks ago, we were, we were told we were nearly there, but she, she wasn't able to make that move. She didn't have enough people with her, behind her, supporting her. Because and any time you'll have a... Like a press conference at Stormont, you'll have a phalanx of Sinn Féin people. Sometimes the DUP won't do a press conference at all, or there'll just be one or two of them. So she needs more support. She needs more people, you know, to to to, to ensure that that her. Uh, do you think? Do you think she will get that? Do you think she can achieve that? That is part of the problem. Now we we don't know. There are different sort of strands of opinion within within the party. Uh, I, I, I think if she did make the leap of faith, it would probably work. I don't, I don't think people would walk. You have Irish language acts, or sorry, you have language acts in Scotland and Wales. I don't think the world would fall apart if it, if it did happen. Uh, but the short answer is I don't know. But the biggest challenge is for Arlene Foster rather than for Sinn Féin, I think. I, th I think uh, Jerry is a point in relation to the DUP. Uh, we, we did make some progress in the negotiations over the course of 10 months, but we didn't make sufficient progress across a range of issues. It wasn't just in relation to the language issue, although the language issue has become, if you like, the totemic issue which identifies the quality of treatment for nationalists as well as unions, which the Good Friday Agreement provided for. Uh, so there is some way to go. We, we've been more than willing. Negotiation is a process of give and take, uh, and that's, that's what all negotiations involve, unless you can park your tank on the lawn of someone, you inevitably have to uh, get a give and take in, in negotiation. Uh, and so we stretched ourselves and we did try and reach uh, that accommodation with the DUP. We want to see the institutions work. Uh, they aren't easy to work. It's an involuntary coalition. The DUP uh, have a completely different worldview from us and probably the majority of MLAs in the Assembly because the majority now do support language rights, they do support marriage equality, they do support uh, rights to legacy inquests, they do support the Bill of Rights, all of which the DUP oppose. Uh, so it's not a difficult, uh, it's not a, uh, an easy arrangement to get into, but we were prepared to stretch ourselves and we will continue to be prepared to try and reach that agreement with the DUP because it is important uh, in southern terms as well as in northern terms for the institution to be up and working. We want to be have our ministers going to the All-Ireland Ministerial Council. We want to have our ministers representing our views in Brussels in relation to Brexit and all of the important issues that are facing us. We want to, as we have been doing, act as a bulwark against Tory austerity plans to try and 
uh, prevent the impact of those cuts on the most vulnerable people in society. Uh, those are all of the issues we want to tackle. But a government has to be based on a sustainable basis, and that is one where the rights and entitlements of people are protected, or else it will come crashing down again, and the credibility of that institution then is shot to pieces. Sarah, journalists are sometimes quite cynical about Sinn Féin, about the way in which they all seem, all the party members seem to be, Louise is raising her eyebrows at me there, uh, we all seem to be singing from the same hymn sheet all the time, you know, and they, they, they talk about it being cult-like at times. But I, I was um, uh, taken last week with the unusual side of Sinn Féin TV's fighting with each other on Twitter in, in, in public on, in relation to the Eighth Amendment. Uh, is that, that, that was quite striking, wasn't it? Well, it was just something that I suppose we've never really seen with regards to Sinn Féin. It's a very serious issue. I mean, Pater Tobin obviously has very deep personal views with regards to the Eighth Amendment. He lost the whip um, by voting against the Protection of Life during Pregnancy Bill in 2014, and it looks like he may in time vote against uh, the the Oireachtas Committee on the Eighth Amendment's recommendations. Um, but, you know, to see, I suppose his colleagues gang up on him on social media was a bit of a you know a bit of a turn and the consequences of that were were known when um, the three people involved Jonathan O'Brien, Ona Bryn and Patter Tobin got a letter from uh, headquarters to remind them that uh, party infighting should not take place on social media mm-hmm. such issues should be raised internally and not um, the full glare of, uh, of social media and what indeed tell us media. That they, that they were came out into the open like that like for example that would breach the Irish Times social media guidelines if you and me were fighting on Twitter and we'd never do such a thing. We'd never do such a thing. The Irish Times is a cult. <laughs> Did you not know that? <laughs> I think obviously uh, the. D- the- Sinn Féin have a very different position with regards to the Eighth Amendment than other political parties mm. have. You know, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have accepted that the issue divides the population and that a lot of their members um, are on opposite sides of the uh, of the fence. Sinn Féin have taken a different tact. They think that, given the seriousness of the of the issue at hand, that they must have a united. Um, party position. Now, Pater Tobin and the Midwest coming today later on this afternoon will argue for a vote of conscience, a free vote for party members on this issue. Um, but because of the reluctance to give a free vote and to offer a vote, vote of conscience, it will mean, I suppose, that um, those that don't necessarily share the view of the party Ard Corla with regards to the Eighth Amendment, that their, you know, their view won't be heard, that they will be forced to accept the party's position um, on the Eighth Amendment. And, you know, that's not necessarily, con- considering the subject that is at hand, it's not necessarily, you know, a very, it's not necessarily de- very democratic, number one, but it's also not, not, it's not necessarily very wise for them. It will probably cause them difficulties in, in, in the long run. I know Louise wants to get yeah. that. No, no, it is exactly democratic. In fact, it, it's nothing else if it's not democratic, because it will be decided on the floor of the Ardesh, which is where these matters should be considered. And we will debate a motion um, in, with regard to whether or not uh, the party members wish to give the elected representatives a free vote on this. Me personally, uh, I'm not a delegate, but if I was, I would be voting against that motion because I'm, well, you see, because I'm happy that what happens in that hall today represents the democratic process of the party and the decision of the membership. So I didn't join Mayfen, I joined Sinn Féin. 
so you know I will represent the views of the party and I believe that's extremely important I think it's disrespectful to the membership to go against what the membership would decide and I think we should all faithfully represent that and that's not to say that we don't recognise that this is a difficult issue for people our party is no different to any other party to any other group in uh, in society where we will hold differing and varying views um, in relation to this issue but we have a space to debate we have a space to come to a decision and then you know the expectation is that people will respect the decision of the party because it's democratically decided I think there is an element of cowardice actually um, in the other what you might call the establishment parties and the fact that they're unwilling to take a position on this because we're going to ask the country to take a position on this we're going to have a referendum in relation to the Eighth Amendment I know what side I'm going to be on I know when I knock on doors what I'm going to be saying the party has a policy uh, with regard to repealing the Eighth Amendment early leadership have articulated that I have, we all have on more than one occasion and I don't think we should shy away from that because we're going to ask the citizens to make a decision I think we should be able to make a decision as well well How divided is the party on it do you think? I mean, people, uh, people have written about there being a, an urban-rural divide, which isn't uncommon on this issue within, within various political parties. Yeah. I'm not sure that it is an urban-rural divide now, to be fair, um, because I think uh, if we were able to draw a line uh, down the middle of the country and say, well, only the people on this side are affected by the Eighth Amendment, but the people on this side aren't, well, then maybe this is an issue in every... Uh, I was going to say in every parish, that's probably not the right word to use, but this is an issue in every town. Uh, It's an issue, it'll be an issue probably in every pub in Ireland this evening. People are talking about it. So I'm not sure that it is an urban-rural issue any longer. I I think it's a matter for everybody. And people are going to have that discussion, they're going to have it in the open. I'm delighted that we're not only just having a vote, uh, not only just having a discussion, but that it hasn't been relegated to a side room. It's not been shoved into the corner. We're actually out and we're having that debate where people can see it and we're, the, the membership will get an opportunity to have their say. That's entirely appropriate. I don't believe that it is the divisive issue that, uh, that people say it is. I think we're going to be able to come to a conclusion here at the Ardesh and as an elected rep, I'm happy to represent the view of the membership as it's given to me by the Ardesh. I want to bring in Jerry Moriarty again and return to where we where we started as we as we kind of draw towards the close of this. I mean, Jerry uh, Jerry Adams has been leader of Sinn Féin since uh, he was leader of Sinn Féin when Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher were in power. Garrett Fitzgerald and Charlie Hawhey were the leaders of the main Irish political parties. Kajagugu were in the charts. It's been a long time. Um, how significant a change will it be? when he does step down and given that he's been a leader for so long do you think the party needs to think about how its process of replacing him is going to be transparent we've seen some part Irish parties in the last few years suffer because they didn't have a proper contest in retrospect and do you think we'll have a contest for the leadership of Sinn Féin um, I'm not sure whether there will be a, a contest but everybody is expecting that is viewing Mary Lou as the heir apparent uh, but we're told that tonight is going to be definitive and historic. Uh, we're all intrigued. We haven't got the detail. There's a certain expectation or guesswork that uh, he will maybe stand down in the next year or so. But th- when and if that happens, it will be a huge moment in, in Irish politics and in a sense in modern Irish history because whatever you think of Jerry Adams, uh, he has been part and parcel of uh, politics both sides of the border you know, for close to 50 years. I mean, you go back... And it's also a huge move because um, Martin McGuinness died, died this year. And um, the whole McGuinness-Adams axis was very, very strong. It, that is the reason why 
you're going to have two and a half thousand people at this Ardesh here. I mean, they created this movement, they created this party, they broke a whole lot of what were seen as key principles about not going into government in the south and so on, not going into not going into government in instalment. And potentially, even though things are a bit becalmed, they could be in government north and south. Sometime in well, in, 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 in the well, they should be in the north, but potentially in the south as well. And the reason that has happened is sort of because of the leadership of, of Jerry Adams with Martin McGuinness, where they have brought Sinn Féin, you know, from you know from the IRA through the peace process, through the Belfast Agreement, through accepting policing. Uh, justice, you had IRA decommissioning. So all these are major, major movements in modern Irish history. And uh, so, I mean, when he makes that announcement tonight, whatever it is, and if it is as it is billed, then, you know, this will be, this will be a, a big moment. So that was Jerry Moriarty giving the long-term historical perspective at the Sinn Féin Ardèche on Saturday. We're here in the Irish Times studio, myself and Fiat Kelly still on Monday morning. Fiat, we've taken the podcast on the road to the three major parties Ardèche-na over, uh, over the last few weeks. What, how do they compare with each other in your view? How, what kind of state are the three, the three main parties in? Between them, they command nearly 80% of the vote, according to the polls. It's always... Instructive to go to these uh, party gatherings um, and get a feel for the membership of each individual party and, you know, where the membership is at. I think, um, you know, if you look at the delegates and those present, you get a a firm idea. Like, it's it's clear that Sinn Féin have a young membership in comparison to other political parties. Like, you know, people who were there were... You know, there were a lot of people between their late teens and their early to mid thirties, and there were a lot of women as well. Yeah, a lot of women, far more so than there were at the other two party gatherings, and that has been evident for some years now that they have a young membership. And in particular, if you go to a Labour Party conference, although we weren't at a Labour Party conference this in the last this mini conference season we've had in the last few weeks, they had theirs earlier this year. You're kind of struck that this is the kind of assumption that Sinn Féin are eating Labour's breakfasts. Uh, is definitely borne out when you go to the conferences. You can see that Sinn Féin are seen as the young, trendy, coming party for people who are of the left and weren't alive when the Troubles was, you know, dominating uh, media and TV books. That's kind of represented day. by somebody like Louise O'Reilly on our, it is. On our panel there. Yeah. Louise O'Reilly, like you have to think, Louise O'Reilly, Ono Brin, you've Vinton Warfield, the young guy in the Shannon. They have a, a number of young parliamentarians coming through. And actually, you know, I was watching The Week in Politics yesterday and they had a, a piece with Theresa Ferris who gave the tea up to Jerry Adams' speech on Saturday night. And she actually said, you know, the decision 20 years ago to really fully establish a young Sinn Féin, there must have been a, a, the equivalent of Ogre Féin Fáil established. She goes, that's really come true now. We see those people coming through the leader, leadership positions. And she's right. You know, you can see that happening now in Sinn Féin. There are a younger generation people very clearly coming through. They have managed that generational change to a certain extent, and we have to see how the ultimate shift in generational change goes. And we should mention that they've, because it's been in the news a lot over the last couple of months, that they have had growing pains, to put it mildly, and there are yeah. quite serious accusations yeah, like the, of the, the way they've, the, they've dealt with some of their representatives and their younger councillors. Yeah, and that is the thing, that that is the main, like, that is the, aside from, let's not paint too rosy a picture of it, you're right, you know, people come into Sinn Féin and see it as another party where we can express our opinion and, you know, we're free to say what we want. And you talk to Sinn Féin people. And you like, as Louise said on the podcast, people come through and they debate issues at the Ardèche. And that is correct. People take different policy views at the Ardèche. But then the party decides and everybody's supposed to t- expect it to toe the party line. I think younger people, 
who have come into the party and have the experience of you know bullying or whatever else they say they, they have been subjected to say that they are not encouraged to express their own views when they have opinions on different policy matters that stray beyond the party line as Saya Boyanar Desh that is very uh, strictly discouraged and that is perhaps one thing that this generational tension in Sinn Féin is causing and the new leader, whoever he may she will be, or whoever he or she will be, we all expect it to be she, that's something that person will have to tackle. You know, how do you allow those people who are coming into the party feel welcome in the party. Now, in the, during the, in the course of that podcast, um, I noted that the Sinn Féin representatives were not keen at all to address the fact, irrefutable fact, that they are stuck in the polls or even perhaps mm, going mm. backwards slightly in the polls. So in terms of the the all three of the big, the big three, as we I think we can call them now, um, Fine Gael have had a, a bit of a Leo bump mm. over the last few months. Fianna Fáil have held pretty steady. Fianna Fáil uh, they're st- still in the game. St- steady game, steady gains, which is what you would be encouraged by if you're a Fianna Fáil or that, you know, I think was mid to 24-odd 20, around the general election, Fianna Fáil got 25%. Both parties have inched up to 30%. The last, uh, like they're, they're, they're kind of hovering, if you take the average of the polls, they're hovering around 29-31, both of them. Mm. So that is kind of steady incremental growth back to the big two. So both of them will be quite happy, I, I would think with their performance. Sinn Féin, you know, they need to take a long, hard look at themselves now about what they do. Aside from changing the leader, they capitalised on the anger that was there during the years of crisis. That anger is dissipated now, kind of borne out by the shift towards the big two. What do they do? Where does Mary Lou position the party? You know, Sinn Féin seem to, a lot of people in Sinn Féin and other parties think that the hard left has perhaps reached its high tide. Does that allow Sinn Féin space to drift into the centre now? Does that allow Mary Lou bring them into the centre? Do they want to bring them in, themselves into the centre? Um, that is something they'll have to look at. But the, the, the big thing and the most interesting uh, dynamic over the weekend was that Fianna Fáil in particular feel they have Mary Lou at a weak spot in just continually tying her to whatever the IRA did. She's never apologised for any of the actions uh, that the IRA carried out. She has always defended Adams. The most noteworthy was in 2014. I think someone in Fianna Fáil said to me over the weekend it was almost like a eureka moment. They were quite scared in 2014 because they were only beginning the rebuilding process and Sinn Féin were coming up fast on the outside. Then when uh, Adams got arrested for the Jean McConville uh, murder, um, Mary Lou MacDonald went on Morning Ireland, I remember very clearly, and defended him to the absolute hilt. And then Fianna Fáil's, the light switch went off. That's what we do. We continue to tie her and the next generation. So whether they can How continue effective to- do you think that is, though? I think at the time it was very effective. Um, and how, then, is it, it, will it remain as effective when Jerry Adams isn't on our television screen? It would be less time? effective, I think. But if, if if the departure of Adams has the result of these episodes coming up again and again and again, if that mm. decreases, then Mary Lou can move on. But like, think back to the the controversies that the, that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael tied, not only Adams but McDonald too, you know, Maria Cahill, you know, Jean McConville, they were potent, potent issues. And if they keep coming up, then they will continue to seek to tie her, you know, will you defend X, Y, or Z? But Adam's departure, by dint of Adam's departure, does it make it less likely that they will become issues for mainstream political debate in the doll? That's open question. Just one, one last question on this, because, you know, probably the next election, election, as most elections are, will be fought on economic issues mm. and who people think is, is, is best to, to handle those and steer the country. But it's against the backdrop of Brexit, and that backdrop is getting more and more fraught in many mm. ways. And even over the course of this weekend, you really saw... Um, 
uh, a, it, certainly in public at least a hardening of tone I think it's fair to say from Leo Varadkar and, and Simon Coveney and some uh, quite a backlash to that from parts of the British media and I just wonder given that Sinn Féin as we've just been saying is a party that defines itself very much around questions of you know you know unity the the border the relationship between Britain and Ireland what impact for good or ill the way the Brexit's likely to go is going to have on the party well the Brexit, the Brexit question is probably going to be solved in the next two months, one way or the other, um, because we have to. The December summit, you know, that's our last chance to operate our veto. So this kind of shoulder bashing that we're engaging in with the British at the moment is designed to be done in this two week period, two to three week period. So, you know, Leo Varadkar's probably right when he said it, the, the talks will move on to the next stage. Does this talk of Irish unity? in the long term helps Sinn Féin we haven't seen any evidence of it so far let's not forget the minute the, the morning after the referendum Martin McGuinness and Jerry Adams are saying we want a referendum on Irish unity so they've been hammering away at this for a year and they haven't really made any capital from it I think the Taoiseach's kind of stridency in his dealings with the British now has arguably helped his poll ratings. If you speak to people in Fine Gael, they, their view is that that has gone down well with There's the public. There's nothing better than being bashed nothing by the better, sun. There's nothing know. better than being bashed by the sun. And when you're doing it for a particular reason, when you're doing it for a reason that people see there's validity to your uh, argument, and let's not forget that one of the big criticisms of Enda Kenny and one of the most damaging attacks by Sinn Féin and others of the left in the last hours that he was a poodle f- for the, the EU and the European Commission and Angela Merkel and Sarkozy wherever having yourself so for the people around Varadkar were very aware of that and they know that to box that argument off you have to be tough publicly but again we have our veto at, up, up until phase two our veto goes after that it's qualified majority it's qualified majority so this is the moment of maximum leverage for Ireland and that's why we're seeing you know this kind of digging in the ribs going on with the British at the moment. Oh, we'll definitely be discussing that over the next couple of weeks. Fiat, thanks for coming in. That's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to Fiat Kelly and to all our panellists this weekend. Thanks also to our producer, Declan Conlon. Remember that you can subscribe to the Inside Politics podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. And you can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. And please do take a moment, if you can, to recommend or to share the show. Also, we do really value your feedback and suggestions and you can mail them directly to me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can easily find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.